0: Good morning. I was telling somebody earlier that I think this may be the shortest sermon ever because we've got a potluck and it's a Thanksgiving potluck. So it might just be, let's eat, amen. You guys good with that? All right, well, let's see if I can preach a message before we indulge in some really good food. Um, last week I told you guys I wasn't feeling well and uh, Rick gave me a really, really good compliment. And he said it was like, now you know, Rush Limbaugh says that he debates people with one, half of his brain tied behind his back. Yeah, so that's how it was my sermon yesterday or last week was half my brain was tied behind my back. And uh, I felt like it was more than that because I was telling Susie this morning when I preach, my brain's usually like 15 seconds ahead of what I'm about to say. And it's like when I mountain bike, I'm focused on 15 to 20 to 30 feet in front of, in front of us. Titus, for you, that'd be like the corner you're about to run through. You need to focus on that. I focus like 15 to 30 feet in front, and uh, or 15 seconds in front when I'm preaching. And last week I felt like I was one second ahead of what I was saying, so I stumbled a lot. And I'm hoping this morning is different. After the message last week, I spoke with Steve and I called uh, Brian and Steve and I and Thrice and I said, or I texted them and said, "Hey, I may not make it in next uh, tomorrow because I'm not feeling well. So just have a sermon ready if you don't mind." And Steve had prepared a message, and after the sermon he said, uh, after my sermon last week he approached me and said that the message he prepared, uh, about half of his notes I had used in my sermon, and it was this idea of Satan, the evil one, the adversary that we're all dealing with. We talked about sin last week, and uh, I was talking about that's how Satan attacks us, is the the sins of the flesh and the passions of of our, our sinful nature at times, that we've got to die to self, and how Steve said, I think there's an attack on truth that is very common uh, in our Christian culture, in our religious groups, in our religious settings. And so I, I personally find that topic very interesting, because that subject about truth and false teaching is littered from Genesis to Revelation. I mean, it's throughout the entire Bible. And so... I thought, well, I'm going to steal Steve's idea. And I'm sure he's got plenty of notes that he could do a backup sermon and be completely fresh and new. So I'm going to go ahead and steal your idea, brother. hope that's okay. Don't get mad at me. Um, so jump right into it. And several questions that we need to answer or several statements that need to be addressed when it comes to this concept of truth and when it comes to truth in God's world and God's kingdom is the subjects or the questions or the statements that need to be asked or made is, what truth is not? Okay, what truth is not? And then there, what is truth? Uh, another question is, does truth matter to Jesus? Does truth matter in the New Testament? And uh, should truth matter to us? Should truth matter to me? Should it matter to you collectively as a church body? Should truth matter to us? And so first I'm going to start with truth. what truth is not. Um, truth is not popular opinion. Okay, I'm answering the question or attempting to answer what is truth, biblically speaking. And I can tell you what truth is not, is truth is not popular opinion. There's a, a website, an organization, a group called the Flat Earth Society. And if you go to the flatearthsociety.org when it says on the homepage what they stand for, it's quote, the Flatter Society uh, mans the guns against oppression of thought and the globularist 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 lies of a new age. Standing with reason, we offer a home to those wayward thinkers that march bravely on with reason and truth in recognizing the true shape of the earth flat. That is the homepage of the Flat Earth Society. So if 51% of the world believes that the earth is flat, does that make it true? No. Some of you are like, well, how do you know it's not flat? Well, we'll deal with that later. I think there's a, there's a word for it. It's like is It's not actually perfectly round, but it's ellipsal. But um, another thing about uh, truth is not popular opinion is in the between the 1930s and the 1950s for any of you people that like medical history between the 1930s and 1950s doctors would prescribe or prescribe smoking to people when they had a, a cough because they would say that the reason you have a cough is because you're lacking menthol and so we need to get you some menthol cigarettes in order to help your cough because it's good for you. They prescribe cigarettes to pregnant women to help with um, What do you call that when you get sick? Nausea, don't smoke, okay? Nausea. There was a doctor called Dr. Penguin in the 50s, and he's holding a cigarette, and it's a box of camels, a carton of camels, and the doctors were saying, Dr. Penguin here uh, recommends smoking. Does that make it true? Of course not. If you look at Leviticus 24, Leviticus 24, there was a, a, a law for blasphemy and that blasphemy was stoning to death so jesus was accused of blasphemy when he said he was the son of god he says i am he was accused of blasphemy and the the law says that he must be stoned and so you have the masses saying well we can't stone him because we don't have the authority to do that as a jewish nation and so rome needs to give us the right and they would give one man every year to be crucified And so they said, well, we want Jesus to be crucified. We can't stone him to death, but we can crucify him because of blasphemy. In Leviticus 24, 10 through 16 are the rules behind stoning to death. And Jesus was crucified instead of being stoned to death. So truth is not popular opinion. If the masses believe something to be true, that doesn't necessarily make it true. It doesn't make it false, but that's not what makes it true. Truth is not dependent upon conviction Number two, truth is not dependent upon how strongly or how passionately you feel about something. We had jihadists that were bringing an airplane into a building based on their faith and belief in a higher power and what their their result would be, what their gift, their reward would be. Is that truth? Is that divine God truth? No. Just because they're passionate about something doesn't make it true. There's a comic written, it's called um, Charlie Brown. And Charlie Brown and Linus are having a conversation. And Linus says, and then on Halloween night, the great pumpkin rises up out of the pumpkin patch and brings toys to all the good little children. And Charlie Brown looks at Linus and says, you're crazy. And he says, all right, so you believe in Santa Claus and I believe in the great pumpkin. The way I see it, it doesn't matter what you believe just so you're sincere, okay? doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. So truth is not dependent upon how passionate you feel about something. In Romans chapter 10, to make a biblical point, in Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 1, most of us know Romans for other reasons. The the chapter's... 10, or verses 10 through 14, but in this particular passage, Romans 10, 1 through 4, Paul writes this to the church at Rome. He says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, who is them that he's referring to? The Israelites. Very good. He's, he's talking to the Israelites, about the Israelites. My heart's desire and prayer for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. I think the NIV says, for I testify about them that they are zealous for God. Yeah, that they are zealous for God. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. But their zeal is not based on truth. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness, for Christ is, is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The context, he's talking about the Jewish people, he's like, they're not going to become righteous by being obedient according to the law of Moses. He goes, I can testify, I can tell you that they have zeal, they're passionate, they're on fire for God. But it's not based on truth. It's based on a falsehood. And so, truth is not dependent upon how passionate or how convicted you are about something. That's not the threshold for truth. Truth is not relative. Your truth, my truth, his truth, her truth, truth is not relative. I'm gonna use a kind of an example that might make a little of you squirm, but if you go to certain parts of the world, they have child brides, okay? Little girls being handed off to old men in marriage. Now, I can probably speak for you, but that truth to them seems like evil to me. Okay, I'm going to jump out on the ledge here and just say, that truth to them seems like an evil to me. So even though it's their truth, doesn't make it okay with God. Doesn't make it God's truth. Truth is also not prejudiced. Truth is not prejudiced. If you look at Romans chapter 3, and you go back a few chapters from 10, in Romans chapter 3, verse 21, it says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. This whole concept of righteousness and law in in the book of Romans is pretty awesome when you're arguing against somebody or debating somebody that says that we can be saved based on our obedience to the Mosaic law So there is no distinction of Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave, free. There is no distinction. Truth is truth. And in this case, he's saying all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So there's there's a penalty for sin. But in the other side of it, if you turn 180 degrees and go, oh, but there's also justification by grace through faith, not by works. That's for everybody. There is no distinction. There is no favoritism. Truth is truth, and truth is not prejudiced. And truth matters. So we know what truth is not. So there's a lot of other things you can say. Truth is also not this or not this. But those are the four that I wanted to use for the sake of time, because there's turkey waiting. But what is truth? What is truth? We know what truth isn't. What is truth? And when you look in this passage in John, we see when Jesus is on trial. In John chapter 18, Jesus is on trial, trial, and I'm just going to read verse 38, and then we're going to back up in a minute and look at the story a little bit more. But in John chapter 18, verse 38, Pilate said to Jesus, What is truth? What is truth? I've, I've thought about what would it be like to be sitting there on a stool listening to Pilate ask Jesus that question. Did Pilate ask Jesus, what is truth? Was he sarcastic? What is truth? Was he angry? What is truth? Jesus, tell me what it is. Was it depressed? And I've lived a bad life. And I can see that you are who you say you are. And there's nothing I can do now. I don't have the courage to stand up against the Jews. What's true? Just this depressed feeling. Was he inquisitive? Jesus, what is it? What is truth that you're talking about? We don't know, because it doesn't tell us, it doesn't give us any insight, really, that we can definitively say this is what Pilate meant when he said, What is truth? But the word truth in the Greek is elethia, which means true as not concealing. And it's always difficult to me when you're like, What is cold? And you're like, Well, what is colder? Well, it's the act of being a little less cold. Well, what is cold? Like, define true so that I know what truth is. But the definition of truth is true. So what's true? I gotta keep going backwards. What's true? True is something that's not false. (laughs) It's something that's not false. What's two plus two? Take the easy ones, guys. What's two plus two? Okay. What's two plus 2.000000001? What? It's not four. It's 4.00000001. It's almost true, but it's not true, so it's false. Truth, from one theologian, is truth in matters of religion is divine revelation. It's divine revelation. Truth is teaching from the Word of God that is un- adulterated, and undistorted. Teaching that is sound and has not been corrupted. That is true. When you look at one of the qualifications, which are very serious in the Bible, very serious in the Bible when it says they must this, they must this, they must this, in Titus and Timothy. One of the qualifications is that they must refute those who oppose sound doctrine, sound teaching, uncorrupted teaching, unblasphemed teaching. That is one of the requirements and qualifications of an elder of the church, that he knows what truth is and he can defend the truth and oppose those who refute the truth. He can refute unsound, uh, uncorrupted doctrine. So when Pilate, back in John 18, when Pilate is asking this, I just picture this man going, where is the wise man, where is the scholar, where is the philosopher of this age? Where is the one that can understand the truth of God without bending his knee to God and saying, God, enlighten me. Give me the truth of your word. Give me the truth for my life. Give me the truth according to your promises. And in John 18, starting in verse 33, it says, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this on your own account or your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? I mean, what? I'm mean, i not a Jew. I just asked you a question. Are you a king of the Jews? And you respond, hey, did somebody else tell you about this or is this on your own thought process? He's like, look, I'm not a Jew. I'm not the one who, who puts you on trial. Your own nation did. The chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting right now. That I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. And Pilate answered, so you are a king. And Jesus said, you say that I am a king? For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. Listen to this. Jesus tells Pilate, this is the purpose why I came into this world. It says, to bear witness to the truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. That's who I am. I am the truth. And that's the reason I came, is to bear witness to people that I am the truth. The truth. I was sent by God for you to live a life that is not yours, but a life for you to give to me so that I can be glorified. So, what is truth? Jesus is truth. Does it matter to him? Well, one, it's the reason he came. One of the reasons he came was to reveal truth, which was him. If truth didn't matter, we wouldn't have the story in Matthew 21 where he goes in and he sees the the money changers and they're exchanging doves and money and they're like, oh, this is blemished, and they throw it back here and they grab another one and they sell it for an extra 10%. And they're exploiting the people of God for money. These people are genuinely coming to God to offer sacrifices to absolve them from their sins, which was a rolling over of sins. It wasn't a forgiveness. It was an annual reminder. But they're going to offer sacrifices to God to say to God, God, I love you. You are my king. And they're going, yeah, you know what? Let's see if we can make a few bucks off this. And he says, you have turned a house of prayer into a den of robbers. They were acting out of line with the truth of why they had the sacrificial system. And we see one of the two or three times Jesus kind of shows his manness, his like toughness of like who I am. He turns over the table another time, he walks through the crowd and the crowd splits and they're going to throw him off the cliff and God's like, ah, now's not my time, fellas. You can't have me right now. I'll let you know when it's my time. But Jesus, this is one of the few times he just is like, he's fierce And he turns it over because these people, these religious people, are hindering God's creation from worshiping him in spirit and in truth. So, truth matters to God, truth matters to Jesus. We see this in Matthew 23, and this entire chapter, this entire chapter of Matthew 23, is basically saying, Woe to you! He says, He calls the religious leaders hypocrites six times in Matthew 23. He calls them a brood of vipers. He says to them, you are serpents, you are whitewashed tombs, you are blind fools, you are blind guides. He's like, you bind all these things on men, but you don't even follow them. You're hindering a relationship with God that God wants to have with you. And he challenges them woe to you woe to you woe to you over and over again truth matters to Jesus is this making sense like I, I hope this I hope this resonates with you because there's a lot of false out there there's a lot of man-made rules out there that limit people from going to God and saying God I just want you. That's it. I just want Jesus. And that sounds so cliche sometimes because of all the the propaganda and the marketing with all that stuff, but when you just boil it down to, I just want Jesus, because He is truth. When you look at this idea of whether or not truth matters in the New Testament, whether, to, whether or not it matters, we know it matters to Jesus. Does it matter in the New Testament? Does it matter in the teaching of the writers of the New Testament as they were writing letters to different groups of people? They were writing letters to the Romans and the Corinthians and the Galatians and all, Ephesians and Thessalonians. Are writing all these letters to all these people. And there's a passage that I want to read about why or does truth matter even amongst the leaders of the early church? They were, when people say, Why are you talking about truth and doctrine? Why does it matter? Why can't we just focus on the things that are positive? And I go, Because I think this is positive. I think this is a warning that we receive throughout the scriptures, time and time and time again, that we got to be careful. And anybody is susceptible to it. A guy that walked on water with Jesus, that was given the command to go and preach the gospel that was there to open the doors to the Jews and the Gentiles and the Samaritans, the one who was in there, and and he's part of the first council about the the, the, uh, Gentiles and the Jews and what they were requiring of the Gentiles. This Peter guy was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was somebody in the early church. He was a leader, an apostle called by God. And in Galatians chapter 2 Paul wrote this about that. He says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, Peter, Cephas, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Here is Paul opposing this apostle right to his face. For some reason, we're going to find out. For before certain men came from James, Peter, he was eating with the Gentiles. You see, the Jews and Gentiles, the dividing barrier, the dividing wall of hostility had been torn. It had been rent from top to bottom. When Jesus ascended, when he was crucified, when he was buried, it it was done. The law was done. And part of that law said Jews are over here, Gentiles are over here, you're not supposed to eat together, Gentiles are dirty. And God separated that. He says, No, you guys are all one in Christ Jesus, you're all brothers. And Peter's like, that's right. In fact, I was the first one to preach to the Gentiles in the household of Cornelius. I know what I'm talking about. But he fell back into that hypocrisy because he's human. He fell back into that hypocrisy and he started to avoid the Gentiles because the Gentiles were unclean. And he was afraid that the Jews would say, ah, Peter, you're one of them. And Paul goes, no. I challenged him to his face because he was not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. So it matters. It matters to the writers of the New Testament. It mattered to Paul. And you know what? Even though Peter, even though Peter uh, had some of his own failures like every human on earth, he devotes an entire chapter in 2 Peter to false teachers. He's like, hey, been there. I've been there. I'm going to write a letter. I'm going to write a letter to those that obtain the faith of equal standing. And he says here, but false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destruction, destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. He's like, watch out. The way of truth, the way of divine revelation is going to be blasphemed because of these people. So watch out. For an entire chapter, he deals with this. So does truth matter? Truth matters to writers in the New Testament. Ooh, now we're going to get to some scary stuff. Should truth matter to me? Should truth matter to you? Because I don't believe truth is relative. I don't think you have your truth, and I have my truth, and we have our truth, and they have. I I don't believe that when it comes to God's word, His teaching, what He wants from our lives. I don't think it's relative. And there's a passage that years ago made me nervous for myself. And it's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. In 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 8. It says, and then, it's talking about the man of lawlessness that's going to come. And he says, and, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. In verse 10, And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. Read that again. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Perish because they refused to love the truth. The next verse is what scared me. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. I'm not hell, and brimstone trying to say, love the truth, go to hell. We're going to read some scriptures. That's not my purpose. That's not my goal. My goal is to encourage us to recognize the importance of truth. It's so important. It's so vital for us to understand what does the word say. And if you're at an age where you're like, I don't need to hear this anymore, I've been down the religious road, I'm just going to speak to the young ones in the front then. Truth is what matters. Not what I say, not what your parents say in regards to this. In regards to the word of God, what your parents say matters. Don't take it out of context and like disobey your parents. In regards to the word of God, what matters is what the word says. That is truth. That's what's important. And there's this picture that that Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica and he says, when the lawless one comes, there's going to be people that didn't love truth, didn't embrace it, and God says, I, "I sent them a delusion. They wanted to believe the lie. I sent it to them. I let them believe it. I didn't just let them believe it. I helped them believe it." And it says, "God sends them a powerful, a strong delusion." And Romans chapter one talks about they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Like I don't want the truth of God. I want the lie. That's a scary place to be, in my estimation. When you exchange thy truth for my truth. This is real. I mean, this is like, I don't know how else to say it. I mean, I know we all have lives and things that we go on about our daily life doing, but I think I would say the most important thing for every human individual is to say, God, I, I'm just, I'm, part, I'm your creation. That's I, you, you spoke me, you knew me, you've knitted me, you know me. I just, I want your truth. I want to be able to accept your truth, embrace your truth, create in me a pure and contrite heart, God, because I need it, because there are times that I don't, I think I don't want your truth, and I'm like, no, I do want your truth, I just, I'm struggling, (laughs) but I want it. I want it. I think that's the prayer that we need to have to God. There's four passages I'll read quickly and then we'll wrap up. But in 1 Timothy chapter 2 again, does God care about truth? Paul wrote to Timothy he says, first of all chapter 2 uh, verse 1 first of all then I urge I urge that supplications prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving thanksgivings be made for all people for kings And all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. I just love that counsel from Paul to Timothy. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Look at this next passage that Paul wrote to Timothy, which is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved. God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Amen. God's desire is that we come to the knowledge of the truth. And I would challenge you, if this is bothering you, like this is this is convicting me and bothering me and oh, I don't want to hear it, I would say God's desire for you is to come to the knowledge of what is true. In John chapter 17, Jesus is sitting around and he's praying to God and he's talking to God about his disciples. And then he talks about us. In John 17, he's actually talking about us, because he says, for those who will come to believe. And in John 17, verse 17, he's praying this prayer, and he says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said this. I'm going to start in verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus is praying to God for us because he prays for his disciples that he's with right there and then he also prays for those who will come to believe. We call it the prayer of unity in the Gospels in John 17. And he says, I pray that you sanctify them in the truth and your word is truth. John 14 says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. John chapter 8 says the truth will set you free. If you feel like you're in a prison in your mind, you feel like you're held captive. Jesus said, the truth will set you free. Because I am the way and I am the truth. So brother, this talk of the Satan attacking the concept, of Satan attacking us through sin and attacking us through the truth, it's been from the very beginning Satan has been attacking. Did God really say did God really say, don't eat? Did God really say, I am the way and the truth? He did. So when the noise is like there's other ways to get happiness and joy other than Jesus, I would say that's a lie. The ultimate happiness comes from Jesus. Jesus. Whoever has communion this morning, um, I'm going to pray real quick, I'll pray for the food and then we'll do communion and and, uh, go fellowship, so if you wouldn't mind bowing with me, please. Father, thank you so much for your word, thank you for the salvation that your uh, sacrifice has given us, thank you for truth, Father, I know sometimes it's hard to See something in your word that conflicts or contradicts what we've always believed or what we think we believe, what we're passionate about, what the majority believes. And Father, I pray that all of those things can just go away and that we're able to look at your word, love your word, accept your word, apply your word to our lives. There's not a human in here that does not have their own... Desires and thoughts, and I pray that each one of us is led by the Spirit so that our thoughts are Your thoughts. Your thoughts are our thoughts. Father, be with this congregation. Be with the fellowship. Father, thank You for watching over our loved ones and our family and keeping them safe. Grace in Jesus' name. Amen.